very much aware, Lord God, of the, of the pitfalls that we often face. <clears throat> the pitfalls that we have seen already in the second chapter of Second Peter by way of false teachers. The pitfalls that we have also begun to consider uh, by way of the scoffers, Lord God. We ask and we pray then, Father, that you would give us grace to understand from the perspective of your word how we should treat and how we should understand these scoffers. We also pray, Lord God, that you would help us and that you would confirm within us an increasing love for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For, Father, we are convinced that it is through that Spirit-inspired love for your Son that you place within us, all of the mockings of the scoffers will fall to the ground. And so, Father, grant these things we pray. Give us a clearer vision of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, again, we're going to be looking today particularly at the third verse of this third chapter of Second Peter, and it deals specifically with scoffers, does it not? Notice again what Peter says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Well, there's much that we can say about scoffers right in this immediate context, but we're going to pick that up next week. Next week, we're going to take a look at what Peter specifically says about scoffers. Again, they, they walk after their own lust. They, they, they engage in this, in this willful ignorance. We'll pick that up in, in time to come. But what I want to do is I want to use this as an occasion for us to consider the nature of scoffers in and of themselves and the particular threat that they pose to the faith of God's people. The church has always, in one sense, been attacked by scoffers. <clears throat> scoffers, in, in another sense, we might say, or is, or are very old. We see them very early in the pages of Scripture. Uh, many commentators uh, bring out the point that Noah, when he was building the ark for 120 years, did it in the face of much scoffing and mocking. So we see that scoffers have always been with us. We see other things about scoffers as well. We know that scoffers are, in one sense, are the particular objects of God's wrath, unless they repent. And this is one of the things that we should be concerned with, that we should present to scoffers not so much this anger towards them, but we should present to them the very thing that Peter does in that ninth verse, how that God is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish. This is, again, set in the context of scoffers and mockers. So what I want to do, as I said before, I want to take a look at what this whole idea of scoffing is all about. We'll see it from a number of vantage points here in the scripture. But then, most importantly, what we will do is to take a look at a number of points as to how you and I can, can keep from being affected in a negative way by the scoffers that will be with us until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that I want you to be aware of is notice how Peter approaches this. He says again in verse 3, knowing this first. What Peter is saying here is essentially this, that there is something of a first principle that we must understand in regard to scoffers. And that first principle is essentially this, that they will come. The first principle is essentially this, that they have always been those who have afflicted the people of God, and there will always be those who afflict the people of God by way of scoffing and by way of mocking. And again, Peter puts it in the category of a first principle, knowing this first Kind of interesting, we've seen this expression before. If you look back just a page or two in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of, a, is of any private interpretation. And in that passage of Scripture, what Peter was doing is, again, he was setting forth another first principle. 
And that first principle was the word of God as the light that you and I walk by in this dark world. And so we hear the voice of the scoffer, but by way of the light of the word of God, we know that we ought to pay them no mind. We hear the voice of the scoffer, but by way of the light of the word of God, we know what it is that motivates them. We hear the voice of the scoffer, but by way of the light of the word of God, we know what the end of the scoffer will be, what, what, what the end of the scoffer will be, and what the end of the righteous will be. And so again, these, these ideas, these, these first principles that Peter lays out for us, I have to say, as I work through this second epistle of, uh, of Peter, one of the things that comes over uh, again and again is the idea of what a pastor this man was. And there was an, in 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter, we didn't look at the epistle, but in 1 Peter, as a pastor, he is expressing all this concern for the church of Jesus Christ by way of the persecution that they should undergo. And he warns them of the persecution. He shows them how to stand fast in persecution. Here in 2 Peter, here in 2 Peter, in chapter 1, what does he do? He gives great emphasis to what the Christian life looks like, what the character of the Christian life looks like, what the basis of the Christian life is, the word of God. And so again, he's acting as a pastor. He's drawing the people of God back to the person of Christ and to the word of Almighty God. And there he was in the second chapter. And what was he doing? He was warning us against these, these wolves in sheep's clothing. These ones who come in to make merchandise of the people of God. What a pastor. I remember a number of years ago when I had preached through uh, uh, the epistle of James. <clears throat> excuse me. I was, I was somewhat taken up with the same idea. That James in his epistle shows himself to be a very, a very, a very full pastor. He's tender when he needs to be tender. He's stern when he needs to be stern. He's prophetic when he needs to be prophetic. All these things all, all, all come together in the writings of these men. You see, God has given us good and holy and faithful men in whose writings we have for us. And how, and how thankful we are that we have the word of God in front of us. And so Peter, as I said before, showing himself to be uh, this pastor of the, of, the, uh, of the flock of Jesus Christ. Well, then, we come now to this question, what is a scoffer? Well, first of all, let me say this. A, a scoffer, in one sense, it's, it's that person really who needs no defining. If you don't know what a scoffer is by way of definition, you have felt the sting of a scoffer. There's something about these, these individuals, aren't there, isn't there? How they're able to kind of penetrate, how they're able to get under our skin, how they're able to say things just by way of sometimes not even a word, just by... A rightly placed chuckle. It hurts sometimes. How can, a, how can a little snicker hurt? But it does, doesn't it? These scoffers. And there you are again, maybe affirming some great truth of the Christian gospel. And you hear a snicker. There you are, maybe affirming some great thing that God has done for you. And the roll of the eyes. You see these scoffers, these mockers, they're always there. But what is a scoffer? Well, one of the things that I would say about a scoffer is this, is a scoffer is a, a certain class of sinner that, like the false teacher, has a long pedigree. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, the scoffer is a certain class of sinner. He's a particular type of sinner. We know that we're all sinners. We, we all need the grace of God. And, and thankfully, by way of the work of Jesus Christ, we are not only sinners, we're saved sinners. But again, we also know that there are certain types of sinners, certain classes of sinner. The, the false teacher was a certain class of sinner. Well, here the mocker is another class of sinner. And in one sense, as the false teacher, this, 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 this uh, class of sinner, this scoffer, he has a long pedigree as well. 
The pedigree of the false teacher was the false prophets of days gone by. Well, the pedigree of the scoffer, again, we see them very early in the pages of Scripture. As I said before, most commentators think that, uh, that, that Noah, when he was building the ark, was accompanied by all these, all this scoffing and mocking. We read there in the book of Proverbs, the scoffer was so, so well known that we find him in this, in this proverbial literature, this wisdom literature. In other words, he was such an identifiable part of society that the, that the wise in wisdom literature laid out things to say, look, stay away from these men. They're nothing but trouble. And so this, the, these scoffers, this class of sinners, I said before, has a very long pedigree. Now, not only do, do scoffers have a, a very long pedigree, these scoffers, these men, also have a deep disdain for all things holy. This is one of the things really that begins to bring into clarity what a scoffer is. These individuals have a disdain for the things of God. They have a disdain for the things that are sacred. Not only do they have a disdain for the things of God, they have a disdain for God himself and for the people of God. And we see this in a, in a number of ways. There's, there's a sense in which we can say that Pharaoh represents something of a scorner and a mocker. You might remember that passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 5 verse 2 when Moses confronts Pharaoh with the great command of God to, to let my people go that they might worship me. And what is Pharaoh's response to the declaration of God? Exodus chapter 5 verse 2. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him? And so again, we see something of this attitude of arrogance, something of this attitude of just disdaining the things that God calls an individual to. You know, it's interesting that God himself has been made the object of the mocker's scorn. It's an interesting thing to see. Not only do these scornful men, these scoffers, not only do they mock the people of God, they mock God himself. And this is what is particularly grievous or heinous about this sin. It reaches to the highest of heaven. And what is included in that or what else is involved in that, it oftentimes uses the very best gift that God has given to humanity, and that is the gift of the mind and rationality. You know how this, this idea of the mind keeps coming up in our sermons here lately? The mind, again, as I said before, it's, just, it's, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. It's that gift that God has given to you whereby he might communicate with you. It's that gift that God has given to you whereby you might know and learn through the word of God how to express your worship for him. Well, these scoffers, what do they do? They take this great gift of rationality and they use it to mock their creator, the very God who gave them that gift. They use that gift to speak against God. You see, there's something, again, very horrible in this sin of scorning, mocking, and scorning and mocking but again, we see it. We see, as I said before, we see even that even that God has made the object of the mocking of the scorners. But really what we see it in particularly when we look through the word of God and in the history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the history of the people of God is that the people of God oftentimes bear the brunt of the uh, of the of the mocking of the scornful. Uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36, where we have that great passage of scripture of the, uh, of the heroes of the faith and, and the trial that many of them underwent. Uh, and this is what the writer of Hebrews says about some of them. And others had a trial of 
cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. Cruel mockings. Cruel mockings. You see, sometimes the, the scorn and the, and the mocking can be somewhat slight, still cutting. And again, as I said before, this is the amazing thing about the scorner. They have that ability. But other times, this mocking and this scourging and this, excuse me, this mocking and this scorning can be very, very cruel. You remember what we said about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ when he, was, when he was there dying on the cross. We said that, that those wicked men that surrounded the cross couldn't even let a good man die in peace. This is the thing that the mocker does. This is the thing that the scorner does. He is more than happy to add insult to injury. It's not enough that an injury is there. He must add insult to it. And oh, by the way, get a laugh out of, get a laugh out of his friends at your expense. This is the scoffer. And this is the mocker. And so again, you see, this, uh, uh, the people of God have, have often been the object of this. And really, it's those who follow, who follow the ways of God most closely. You must understand, should you take a, a stand for Christ in a fallen world, at the very least, you're going to be the butt of somebody's joke. At the very least. And again, we see this, we saw this in the Old Testament, didn't we? I remember the first time I came across this passage of Scripture in Second Chronicles, and actually, there was a friend of mine who would often quote it, a godly man, he's passed on, he's been with the Lord, he's with the Lord, uh, but just, a, a, just a, talk about a, a man with a wonderful mind. Um, he would bring out this passage of Scripture, Second Chronicles 36, verse 16. But they mocked the messengers of God, and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Did you see that? They mocked the messengers of God. Now, Second Chronicles 36 is talking about the collapse of the southern kingdom of Judah. The sin had become so heavy in its weight that the nation could no longer bear it. They had rejected God and his word for so long that judgment was now falling. And what brought it about? They mocked the prophets of God. What did God do in his kindness? He sent prophets. He pled with the people of God. You heard that passage of scripture. You heard me pass the, uh, 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 quote that passage of scripture uh, from, from Ezekiel. Why will you die? Why? God says that to his people. Why will you persist in your sins? Why will you die? Why will you love death? And again, the mocking. Oh, here comes Ezekiel again. What's this fool going to do today? There goes Jeremiah. What's he going to say? There goes Isaiah. What kind of thing is going to come out of his mouth? You see the mocking that these men endured. And so again, these scoffers, they, they mock the people of God. They mock particularly those who walk most closely uh, after God. Job said this in Job chapter 12, verse 4. He says, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answer him, the just and the upright man is laughed to scorn. The just and the upright man is laughed to scorn. I hope that this doesn't shake you off of your determination to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that the threat of mocking and the, and the threat of being the butt of somebody's joke doesn't, uh, doesn't unnerve you. I hope the thought, and I hate to say it this way, but, but sometimes we, we sense these things. I hope the thought of maybe somebody who seems in your own mind, and I have to be careful with how I say this because there's probably no right way to say it, but somebody who seems to be less in your mind than you view yourself. Or maybe you're the foreman on the job and, and maybe some, some new person comes along and, and you say something and, and, and they're cracking a joke at your expense. Or maybe you're, you're uh, again, 
put, put any kind of a situation where the lesser is mocking uh, the one who, is in a, who, who has a, a more significant uh, a title uh, given to him. But I hope this doesn't shake you off from following the Lord Jesus Christ. In one sense, you must expect it. When you take a look at mocking from that perspective, what did our Lord undergo? Here he was. It was God manifest in the flesh. And isn't it something now that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, these two things brought together? If scoffers mock God, if scoffers mock those, excuse me, mock those who most closely follow God, this is who Jesus Christ was in his person, was he not? He was God manifest in the flesh. He was the one who truly followed the will of his father as no other person did. And this is why he was the object of a particular scorn. This is why when he hung on the cross, you remember what they said to him. They mocked him and they laughed at him. They laughed him to scorn, the scripture says. And so again, the scoffer, as I said before, is that is the, the scoffer then is the one who treats individuals or ideas with ridicule and contempt with the purpose of embarrassment or humiliation. The intention of the scoffer, from the standpoint of the scripture, the intention of the scoffer is to dissuade or to weaken your resolve to follow Christ, or at least cause you to question scriptural truths, especially now, hear this out, especially the mysteries of the Christian faith, which are revealed truths known only through scripture. See, you have to be aware of this. There's much about scripture that just corresponds to the nature of persons as persons. The scripture is that holy book that God has given. <laughs> Speaking of the scriptures, that holy book that God has given. I heard a man say uh, recently, he says, he says, I believe everything in the Bible from cover to cover. He says, and I believe the cover too because it says holy Bible. I said, well, amen. That's my kind of a guy. But this idea here that in the word of God, there are these mysteries that are revealed. Mysteries about the nature of God. You know, it's a wonderful thing to, to know that there is a God. It's an even greater thing to be brought into personal communion with the triune God. This is the, this is the great benefit that the incarnation gives to us. You know, when you take a look at the, at the scriptures and what they reveal about God's purposes for humanity, two things I want you to be aware of, or three things actually. Number one, that God is. Man knows that. Man feels the tug and the pull in his heart that there is a God that he's accountable to. But wonder of wonders, this God has revealed himself in his son who through the incarnation came and appeared in time in order to redeem humanity. And then on top of that, the third great mystery might, we might say is the descent of the Holy Spirit. And so again, the incarnation and the descent of the Holy Spirit, this moves us to this idea of the triune God. God manifest in the flesh. God present by way of the power of the Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. Mystery of the faith. And there's the scoffer mocking it. There's the scoffer saying all kinds of jokes concerning this. Well, the other mysteries of the faith. The mystery of the, of the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. The hypostatic union, what is that? It is that glorious doctrine of the two natures in the one person of Jesus Christ. Truly God and truly man in the one person, Jesus Christ. Oh, and again, the scoffers, they mock at that which they do not understand. That which they do not care to understand. Other mysteries. The mystery of the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul says again, he says, he speaks about the church as a mystery. He uses marriage as, as something of an illustration to show Christ's love for the church. There's the mystery of the resurrection. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed. These mysteries. 
The mystery, we might say, of the second coming. That's the particular object of the scoffer's scorn here in 2 Peter chapter 3. You see, these things that these men who live only by sight and sound and sense, because they can't penetrate into the truths of God, therefore they mock them. Don't be shaken off by that. Don't get me wrong, in one sense, these men, women sometimes, uh, who, who scoff at God this way, it's not that they do these things in ignorance. I think one of the, one of the elements that makes scoffing so effective is that it, 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 it attaches itself to a particular truth. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think it understands the full truth or embraces or tries to, tries to incorporate in its thinking the full truth. I think that mocking and scoffing is very much to an idea what a caricature is to a drawing. What am I trying to say? Well, in a caricature, a drawing, these little cartoons, there's enough of a resemblance there to know what the artist is who, who and what the artist is trying to mock. But it's all, out of, it's all distorted. Why? In order to, again, bring derision upon the object that the caricature is about. It's the same way with the scoffing and the same way with this mocking. Just enough of the truth is brought into the, into the mocking in order to say, hey, there's something true there, but the truth is presented there not in order to build up faith, but in order, as I said before, to dissuade, to embarrass, to cause those who embrace it to shy away from it. So again, these, these men, these scoffers, are something that we must be aware of. Now, it's interesting here that the word that, uh, that uh, Peter uses uh, for scoffing uh, has the idea to make fun of, to, to mock, uh, to insult. And we might say this, uh, that the, the scoffer then is, is, is a frivolous and, and disrespectful person uh, who mocks or scoffs at the most sacred precepts and the duty of the, of, of the Christian faith. And so again, whatever God is laying out by way of duty, the scoffer is more than willing to pick that up and make some form of joke at, uh, about it in order, as I said before, to discredit that truth in your eyes. Don't fall for these men. Don't be, again, don't, 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 if I can say it this way, and I will say more than this, but don't let their mocking penetrate your soul. You see, understand that they're going to be there. That's what Peter says, knowing this first. You know, sometimes you think, oh, I got, you know, I was, I was made fun of, or, or I was so embarrassed when they said this. Hey, listen, this is part and parcel of what it means to identify with the true and living God in this world. And so, again, if that's the worst that you and I experience, is this mocking. Oh, you see, there are those who, who are suffering even more than that. But again, to, to be aware of these things. Now, as I said before, uh, this sin is, is, is no light sin. It's no light sin for two reasons. Number one, the sin of scoffing and mocking has a tendency, even more than other sins, to harden the heart. And this is one of the things that we know about sin. Again, I, I look around. Most of us are, are older, and most of us, and some of us, well, most of us have probably been following Christ for some time. And you know, or you ought to know, and I hope you know, that there are certain sins, and all sin really will have a callousing effect on the soul. Sin willfully engaged in hardens the heart. And this sin of scoffing is particularly a, a hardening sin. And so because of that, again, as I said, it is, it is the most serious sin. But the other thing about this sin of, of scoffing is that this sin of scoffing not only hardens the heart, but this sin of scoffing has great influence. 
there's a sense in which its power is greater than its substance. It's mere words, oftentimes distorted words. But those words placed at the right time with a little bit of humor directed against you or me has a dampening effect on the faith. Because of words? Listen, I, I think our parents and grandparents had it somewhat right when they used to teach us when we'd come in crying because so somebody called us a foolish name. You remember what they said? Sticks and stones, names will never hurt. Now we say, now, now again, why do we say that? We say that because we're trying to say to our little children, listen, we really know those words do hurt, <laughs> but they don't hurt all that much. Get over it. And so again, there's a sense in which we have to say to those who would mock us in our faith, can I put it this way? Can we wear their mocking as a badge of honor? That we would be worthy to be counted to, 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 to experience shame for the cause of Christ? That we would hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed are you when men shall say all manner of evil against you? Yes, even making you the butt of their jokes? Well, you see, the scoffing, as I said before, it, it has this weight that it shouldn't have, but it does. Let me give you a couple quotes here about the, the effect and the power of ridicule. Uh, one man says this, uh, Ridicule is a most powerful instrument in the hands of Satan, and it is most vividly felt by the young. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 there's something about growing a little older where you get old enough to where you just don't care about what people think one way or another. <laughs> you know, this is why, you know, sometimes you... You know, when we're young, we see older people doing things and we think, what are they doing? They just don't, in one sense, don't really care about it anymore. They're just doing what they do. And so again, the idea of this mocking uh, can be vulnerable. The young can be particularly vulnerable to it. And we don't have any of the young here today, but I was, I was thinking along these lines. We all know, at least in our day, what we used to call peer pressure. I think today they call it bullying or whatever. Uh, but the idea is this. You know, these, these words, they can act as a dissuasive uh, to some of the commitments that we want to live by. And so again, even one author, again, is recognizing how powerful an instrument uh, uh, scoffing and mocking is uh, in the hands of Satan. Uh, one very famous uh, uh, British uh, uh, author, uh, Thomas Carlyle, called ridicule the language of the devil. Uh, the author goes on to say, some people who can stand bravely when they are shot at will collapse when they are laughed at. Shakespeare called ridicule the paper bullets of the brain, but oh, how those bullets have slain many a warrior. You see, ridicule, as I said before, it's effective. How do you, how do you refute a joke? How do you refute a punchline? And that's what makes ridicule and mocking so effective. It really can't be dissected. It can't be uh, taken apart. It's not meant to be examined. In one sense, it is a form of ad hominem attack. It can't attack the substance of a thing, so it will make it an object of ridicule. That's what it does. And that's why like I said before, it's a fact that's greater than its substance. And so we need to be aware of these things. Now, how then are we to deal with scoffers? And how are we to, as the people of God to deal with the mocking that will inevitably, inevitably come our way? Well, the first thing I want you to be aware of is this, is that understand that God has given to us his word 
in order to bear up under these mockings. That's why Peter says, knowing this first, that no, uh, 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 that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. He is prioritizing the Word of God in all of the Christian life. Whatever the Christian life is, by way, of its, uh, by way of its exercise, by way of its growth, by way of its manifestation, it all has its foundation in this more sure word of prophecy. Knowing this first, that no interpretation of this, uh, that no uh, scriptures of any private interpretation. The idea there is that scripture finds its origin in God himself. So again, understand that the scriptures are given by God in order that we might know how to navigate and handle and manage the mocking and the scoffing that will come our way. Again, this is why Peter is saying in the verse that we're looking at, knowing this first, here's scripture. You see, scripture is saying to us, scripture says, you know this first of all, that there are going to be mockers. So the scriptures are given in order that we might know how to handle and manage these mockers. But I think another passage of Scripture is very helpful along these lines. Passage of Scripture that I know some of you are very familiar with. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Whatsoever things were written aforetime. There's the Scripture again. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Patience, comfort, hope. Listen. When you hear the words of the mocker, be patient. When you hear the words of the scoffer, Take comfort in the word of God. When you hear the words of the mocker and the scoffers say, where is the, pres- where, where is the promise of his coming? May you rest in that glorious hope. The return of your Savior for your soul to bring you back to that place which he has prepared for you. You see the, the patience, the comfort, and hope of the scriptures. Help us to understand what these mockers are all about. Help us to understand how we are to navigate when we are confronted with them. The scripture in another place uh, instructs us, uh, again, uh, how to handle these scoffers. Uh, this is why we read Psalm from Psalm 1, verse 1 uh, this morning. Why I purposely, in one sense, stopped at verse 1. I wanted, to, I wanted you to hear what the scriptures say about scoffers. Again, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now I want you to hear the contrast. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. How do you handle the scornful? By way of the word of God. By way of taking delight in the word of God. And so again, the first means that God has given us to navigate and to handle the scoffing and the mocking that may come our way is to look into the scripture. Yes, the very thing, the very thing that they try to mock, we look into and let me say this from a human perspective. I, I almost hate to do it from a human perspective here. And allow me to say this, if I can put it this way, only as a, as a, as a, as, as a, as a word of advice, if I can say it that way. Uh, because, again, I, I think what I'm about to say, in, in, in some sense, doesn't come up to the, to the full uh, authority of the Word of God. But I don't think that there's anything more frustrating to the scoffer than to expend all his energy trying to make you the butt of his jokes. And you respond like you could care less because your delight is not in what other people think about you. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. You scoff and mock all you want. Friend, I'm going to heaven. By the grace of God, (laughs) I'm going to heaven. And so again, but again, that's in one, in one sense, that's a, that's a little less than what the scriptures teach. And so again, 
I bring you back to the idea of the scriptures are used uh, to, to tell us how to navigate these things. But the second thing I want you to know is this, is that as we've already see, seen here, that the scriptures repeatedly remind us that in the last days, scoffers will be present. Now, next week, we're going to take a look. We'll open up what the last days mean in Scripture. We'll take a look at that. But what we see is that at least, at least two places, more than likely three places, that there is this emphasis on what the nature and the character of the last days will be like. And part and parcel of the last days is the presence of scoffers. Again, Peter says it here in verse 3, knowing this first in the last days uh, will come the scoffers. Jude puts it like this, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time. This idea of mockers being associated with the last time is very is interesting to think about. Jonathan Edwards made a comment on the idea of the last times in the presence of mockers. And listen to what he says here. Back in his time, in the mid-1700s, listen to what he says. He says, It is now a very dark time with respect to the interest of religion. And such a time as this is prophesied of in this place wherein there is but a little faith and a great prevailing of infidelity on the earth. And infidelity here in the, in the 18th century was a, was, was a loss of faith uh, uh, towards God. It wasn't so much as we use it today, marital infidelity. It was infidelity toward God. Uh, Edwards goes on to say, There is now a remarkable fulfillment of that in Second Peter 3.3. 3. Knowing this uh, first, that in the last days shall come scoffers walking after their own lust. Also in Jude. Again, and he goes on to quote the passage, and he goes on to say this, whether there shall be times any darker still, or how much darker before the beginning of the glorious work of the return of Christ, we cannot tell. And so again, the idea that mockers are with us should not surprise us. The word of God informs, of the, informs us of this actually over and over But thirdly, again, what we, we see is that there is a sense in which these scoffers and these mockers are not scoffing and mocking because they have in some way or shape uh, been able to uh, take the life out of the vitality of the Christian faith. They are mocking and scoffing because they do not want the truths of God to speak against themselves and their own desires. One man, a contemporary philosopher, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Nagel, and it's kind of interesting that when I was researching this, um, this quote appeared in at least six different references. And so I don't know if Mr. Nagel said this in order for this to be quoted by Christian authors in so many places. But listen to what this man says. He says this. He says, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people that I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It is that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I, I don't want the universe to be like that. That's why Peter and Jude say these scoffers are just men and women who are walking after their own lust. You see, God has an issue with their sin. And it's something about human nature, isn't it? That which we prize the most, when anybody is against it, we attack the most. You attack that which is most dearest to me, usually the attack is coming back. I'm not talking on a personal level, but you know, that's just the way human nature is. We hate those who hate what we love. 
And there is the scoffer. And what does he want? When it's all said and done, he doesn't want God ruling over him. He wants to live by his own desires. He wants to live by, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily uh, desires that would lead him into the gutter by way of his sins. He just doesn't want God ruling over him. You see, he wants to say to the Creator, I am the creature, and I'm the one who I will worship. And God says, Thou fool, thou fool, thou fool. So again, these men, again, this helps us to understand how to deal with the scoffers. We, we need to understand what their motivation is. But fourthly, let me say this, and this is uh, very, very important as well. Fourthly, understand that, that God will deal, deal very, very severely with people, with uh, people who mock his truth and even with people who mock the people of God. In the prophet uh, Zephaniah, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, uh, God speaks uh, words of wrath uh, upon the people of Moab because they, they mocked uh, the people of Israel. And this is what God says to the people of Moab. He says this, They shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. And what's he saying here? God is going to take up the cause of his people. Let the people of God be mocked. God is going to stand by his people. Let the church of Jesus Christ be, be besmirched. Christ is going to stand up for his bride. And so again, understand that when these mockers mock and when they scoff, and when they make you the butt of their jokes, there's a sense in which God is again very, very angry at that sin. And yet at the same time, oh, if these men and women do not repent, what a horrible end awaits them. That's why I'm so encouraged that, that this, this, this passage that we all know, again, God not willing that any perish. However we understand that, it's in the context of these scoffers. We'll take this up again in due time. But that was the fourth thing. The, the fifth thing I want you to know, and, this, and again, this becomes even more important, this, this, this fourth point. How can we avoid the, the cutting bite of the scoffers? Well, fourthly, what I want to say to you is this. You and I, we must be personally affected by the truths of Scripture. We must be personally affected by the truths of Scripture. You see that the truths of Scripture are not merely those things which reside in our head and in our mind. We hope they're there. But they must filter down to the whole of our being. You know, the writers of Scripture, they were convinced of the truths of Scripture, were they not? Listen to Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the cause which also I suffer these things. Paul suffered. Listen to what he says. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. There was mocked. There was suffering. I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that uh, which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, there was a persuasion in this man. There was a persuasion in this man that spoke louder than all the mockings of the world and even the cruel mockings of Satan himself. You see, to be convinced of those things which are in your head, to have them filtered down into your being. Paul understood this when he cried out in Romans 7, didn't he? He knew it wasn't just a, a point of theology by way of the depravity of man. He knew it was a true statement about him. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? It was a desperate man speaking. And it was a gracious Christ that came to him. You see, and he embraced this. It wasn't just something in his head. It wasn't just a, a form of, of a, a theological truth that he had to make sure it all lined up. It does. 
But it was more than that in this man's heart, wasn't it? We see another passage of Scripture. There's Peter. Peter again. In John chapter 6, what does he say to the Lord Jesus Christ when the Lord asks him the question, will you leave also? What does Peter say? Where, where are we going to go? You, you're, the ones with the, you're the one with the words of eternal life. You see, Peter knew without Christ he was lost. The truths of Scripture filtered down into his heart. I'm not trying to be humorous here. and You may not find humor in this at all. This morning when I was making the, the coffee, I got the water and I put the coffee in the basket. And I was thinking of this passage of Scripture and I'm waiting for the coffee to, to brew. And then I noticed that the water is filtering down through the coffee and there's no real coffee until all that water is filtered through. May the truths of God filter through our mind down into our soul. You see, you understand. It's not enough just to know these things, but that these things become part and parcel of who we are. So fourthly, be affected by the truths of Scripture. But fifthly, and most importantly, fifthly, and most importantly, I'm sorry, uh, uh, sixthly, and most importantly, lastly, let me say this. The most effective way to deal with scoffers and the mockers is to have a love for God and for Christ and for the truth of his word that is given to you by the Spirit of God and revealed on the pages of Scripture that becomes so deep and so firm in your whole life's conduct that nothing can shake you from your love to Jesus Christ. That's what does it. That's what seals it. Peter says this in his first epistle, whom having not seen ye love and rejoice with joy unspeakable. Oh, this idea of love for Jesus Christ. What is preaching about? It's in order to, to enamor you, to cause you to love Christ more and more. Yes, to fill the mind because God draws the mind through the truth of his word. But it must not just stay there that it filters down and that it produces this heart love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, again, another writer said this, the, the best antidote to ridicule is devotion to a friend. He says, faith reveals to Christians a living person who is the object of their enthusiastic love. And in the depth of that love, there's a store of moral power which the ridicule of the world cannot touch. Let me give you an example of this. What mother have you ever met who loved their child less because he came home that day being made fun of by his friends? You never met a mother like that. Matter of fact, that mother probably loved her son in ways that she never even thought was possible after her son was mocked. And look at the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Did the Father love him less because sinners were around the cross mocking him? Not a chance. And this is why we see in Psalm 2, but I will declare, I will set my king on the holy hill. You see, God again shows to us. And so again, listen in these closing words and. Mockers and scoffers can be very insightful and resourceful in their use of derision and humor to dissuade you from holding on to the truth of the word of God and your love for Christ. But, I, but can I say to you, don't let a scoffer laugh you out of heaven. And while in your flesh you may feel like giving him a push as he laughs on his way to hell, rather than giving him an extra push, say an extra prayer and remind him of the patience of God even towards scoffers such as himself. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us were, not willing that, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see the severity of their sin. Should they repent? The severity of their sin by way of the grace of God. The blackness and the darkness of their sin will just provide a greater contrast to the grace that God is willing to show to them. You see, where sin abounded, Paul says, there did grace much more abound. So I set before you these, 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 these principles as to how to not be derailed by these scoffers. I set before you something of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the offer of the gospel, even the men such as this. Now again, we're going to take a look at this ninth verse in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to see how that, the, how that the direct application of that passage of Scripture, while we often make this passage of Scripture directly apply to the world at large, it's only there by way of implication. The direct application is, as Peter says, to us word, he's speaking about the church. You see, God in his patience is calling in the church. As I was prepared for this, I came across an illustration and it was an illustration of a few years, quite a few years ago. It, it may have been in England. I don't know where the illustration comes from. But the illustration went something like this. There was a, a, an old preacher who had come to preach at a church. And um, he had been at that church years and years ago, but not as a preacher. And so as he began to preach, he said, the last time I was here, I was here with two of my friends. And the man who was beginning to preach, we were there in order to oppose him. And one of uh, my friends said, uh, let's get some rocks and let's throw it at him. And as at a certain point in the sermon, they were ready to do it. But the second man said, or the second young man said, no, let's wait and hear what he has to say. So when the second young man heard what he had to say, he said, no, okay, let's, let's go ahead and throw uh, Let's go ahead and throw the stone. But the third man said, no, wait, let us, let, let, let us hear what he has to say. And so here he was years later, and that third man who came to scoff and to shut down that preacher was now a preacher himself. How true the illustration is, I really don't know, but I do know this, God saves even the worst of sinners. Amen. Let that scoffer who thinks he's laughing on his way to hell, let that scoffer hear the gospel from your lips. And rather than you saying to him, no, you can take your scoffing and go you know where. Rather than saying to him that, say to him what Peter says. Yes, there is this something mysterious in the love and the will of God that extends itself even to sinners like that. Better yet, that extends itself even to sinners like us. 